0: Listeners, hey, guess what? What? Why watch that? Why watch that? We have a giveaway, another one coming to you. Oh, oh,
1: oh. You get a DVD. You get a DVD and you get a DVD.
0: <laughs> and this time it is What Men Want. Mm. So not the Mel Gibson one. This is starring Taraji P. Henson, Aldous Hodge, and a whole bunch of other people. Eric Badu is in there. Tracy Morgan is oh. on the cover. Yes. <laughs> now the details, Ref, can you tell us when, how did people find this giveaway? How did they enter? What's the deal?
1: Okay. You can go to whywatchthat.com slash giveaways. You can go into the giveaway tab and there you will find a chance to enter in, um, and it starts again, May 6th as of taping, but this thing ends May 29th. So you don't have that much time. There will be three winners and all you got to do is click, click, click and follow the instructions, and you too could own what then what.
0: Ooh, and this is a Blu-ray combo pack. Yes, you'll get all kinds of deleted scenes and lots of merriment. So go (laughs) ahead and enter whywatchthat.com as the Rev said giveaways, and we'll see who wins.
1: So why watch that movie talk? We have a movie talk for you. Yes, you listeners. The critic got a chance to see all of these movies. They are basically sneak peeks because they all open on May 17th or on a streaming device on May 17th. (laughs) So we've got like one wide, one in select and one on Netflix. Let's start first. The trial by fire, that you got a chance to see, and this is directed by Edwards Wick. It's written by Jeffrey Fletcher, based on David Grant's uh, New Yorker article. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That it has a lovely cast, but namely, Laura Dern, who we all know, as well as Jack O'Connell. And others that uh, you'll talk about. First of all, Jeff Perry's in there, and we just adore Jeff Perry. <laughs> hold, it. Oh, hold it. Cyrus. <laughs> Cyrus is here. <laughs> and I'm sure he has a monologue at some point. But, uh, yeah, you got a chance to see this. And this is going to be open wide. I'm assuming it's going to be, like, a great, um, interest not a great, but an interesting alternative to all of the superhero action that's going out the question is do we see this in the theater or do we see this um at home or do we see it at all
0: Mm. well that's a question (laughs) yeah it
1: is yeah it is i'm already seeing it i'm already hinting you're already hinting
0: well let's get to this plot at 9 4 in the morning on december 23rd 1991 in corsicana texas a little girl was playing outside when a fire erupted in a house across the street, exploding outward. Hmm. And as a man rushed outside the house in agony because he couldn't stop the conflagration, the girl's mom got on the phone with 911. And as a result of that terrible fire, the man, whose full name is Cameron Todd Willingham, lost his three little, little, little daughters. Oh, boy. yeah. And to add insult to injury, he was the one who was tasked with taking care of them while his wife Stacy, who's their mother, worked. Mm. But instead of being viewed as someone to pity, when the cops investigated the house after the fire, all they could see was Todd's guilt from fire patterns to supposedly demonic pictures.
1: Whoa.
0: Let's just say that even before the fire, he well, they weren't fans of his. Now look, Todd's no saint, okay? He and his wife have had their fair share of problems, including domestic abuse. Plus, Todd has lied to the cops in the past about other crimes. hmm In addition, both of them have loud and lewd mouths. And Todd played by a mullet-wigged Jack O'Connell. <laughs> looks like someone whom the cops are just itching to lock up. So let's just say that Todd's in no position to be a good witness because most importantly, he's just not that good of a guy. And because of that, along with the cops and prosecutors' insistence that he's lower than the scum of the earth, Todd has no chance at trial. I mean, even his defense attorney wants nothing to do with him. And so you know where this leads. This is Texas. So Todd quickly winds up on death row in 1992. But was he wrongfully convicted? That's the question. Because if he was, no one believes him. Even in prison, he gets his fair share of abuse from other prisoners and the COs for being a baby killer. However, one of his fellow inmates decides to help him out one day by inspiring him to reach out to a new lawyer and fight for an appeal. But things cost money, people, and his chances are slim anyway. And from there, we go seven years into the future. So we're now in the year 1999, where we meet Elizabeth Gilbert, who's played by Laura Dern. And Liz is weathering a trial of her own. Her ex-husband, who's the father of her teenage daughter and son, and with whom she still shares a friendship, has a terminal illness. So things aren't looking good. But Liz is a woman with a heart of gold, so much so that she goes out of her way to help a certain stranger on a fateful day. And this stranger who's mystified by Liz's charity is so impressed by her that she convinces her to get involved with a group that wants to put an end to the death penalty once and for all. Now at first, Liz isn't quite sure of what to make of the idea. However, she agrees to allow one of the inmates to write to her. And just who do you think that inmate is? (laughs) But what's in it for Liz? I mean, her ex-husband doesn't get it, her friends don't get it, and her kids don't get it. However, as Liz and Todd correspond, she discovers that Todd is someone who's worth fighting for. And so the question is this, exactly how can Liz help Todd and for that matter, how can Todd help Liz in return? Plus, where will all of this end? Well, I'll tell you this it ends in heartbreak, my friends. Heartbreak. Oh, boy. And with that, trial by fire attempts to do justice to the true story of one of the many injustices surrounding wrongful convictions and executions. But. There's nothing new or particularly exceptional about it. It's just a straightforward presentation of this familiar genre. However, there are some relative highs here along with what are certainly lows. So let's start with the lows. Hmm. During the first half of this film, while it was a good idea for director Edward Zwick to keep things moving, he couldn't move them fast enough to overcome Jeffrey Fletcher's script. I mean, just where in the world is the nuance? Because surprisingly, much of the writing, while not terrible, was just way too shallow. And as a result, Jack O'Connell's work, which goes there, has no support and seems overwrought. Ditto for Emily Mead, who plays his wife, Stacy, And that's such a shame because both Jack and Emily are strong actors. Just look at what Jack did in Start Up, another prison drama that required him to go there. All his work in that film had much better support, especially in the presence of master actor Ben Mendelsohn. Also, take a look at what he did as the lead in Angelina Jolie's Unbroken. In addition, when it comes to Emily, you can go ahead and check out her work as one of the main characters in HBO's The Deuce. I mean, the only thing holding the first half of this film together is the story itself, which outside of the writing is a compelling one. But despite that, you never get a sense of who Todd was underneath all of his outward brashness. There's just no depth and no anchor for all of the drama, which is something that you have to have for this kind of story. I mean, just take a look at how Denzel anchored Hurricane, which is similar in theme all by himself. Because without an anchor and without smart writing, Trial by Fire's attempt at delivering important messages about its subject come across more like a sermon than like a narrative. And to add Hmm. to that, much of its music is overdone, which doesn't help, and its depiction of the fire looks just like that, a depiction of a fire. But then, during the second half of this film, which is about an hour in, Laura Dern shows up. And because of her and her character, things calmed down for the most part because once again, Dern brings a thoughtful presence to the proceedings which this film desperately needs. I mean, just look at her interactions with Jack O'Connell. They have such a nice flow with one another. Plus the way that Zwick depicts their exchanges via letters that they wrote to each other worked. I mean, this is the movie, people. This second half is all we really need because together O'Connell and Dern finally anchor the film and magically the acting gets better. Plus I do have to say, here it comes, that Scandal's Jeff Perry as Dr. Gerald Hurst, who (laughs) shows up in the second half of this film as a pivotal scientist and fire expert, (laughs) almost steals the show.
1: Of course.
0: I mean, give that man and character his own movie. (laughs) But that's not to say that the writing improved that much because this is a writing by cudgel for the most part in way too many moments. Even still though, While the second half of this film doesn't do anything new or particularly outstanding, it is watchable. And because of that, I'd say that Trial by Fire is good enough to watch from the comfort of your own home when it becomes available that way, otherwise. Just know that you'll be paying to sit in a theater to watch a film that relies way too much on its devastating subject and true story to stay afloat until it finds what it truly is. So you'll just have to determine whether that's worth it for you. Also, please keep in mind that this is such a sad story, which again comes through especially during this film's uh, final hour. So regardless of its flaws, you might need to bring your tissues.
1: Wait, 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 wait! now this is something a little different photograph yeah this is in s- <laughs> select theaters you may or may not find it i'm sure it'll make its way to the small screen at some point but if you're looking for it in the big screen please look it up before you you say oh this is what i'm gonna see well first it's directed by ratish batra and he also wrote it along with um Emira Campbell. Now, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time because I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing all of these names incorrectly. It has a cast. Most of these people you would not know. Probably a number of them, but um, uh, Nawazin, uh Siddiqui, <laughs> I'm thinking is his name, mm-hmm. uh, Sonia Mah- Mahotra, along with others, are starring in it. You've got a chance to sneak a peek of this movie that festival-wise, has done its fair share of of rotation.
0: Yeah. Uh, And at the start of Photograph, an Indian woman named Maloney, who's played by Sonia Malhotra, shops for clothes with her mother and sister in Mumbai. But her mind is elsewhere. Plus, at the same time, her father and his business partner chat about the futures of their children who are now young adults. So what's that about, mm. And then Maloney leaves her family to go for a walk by herself. And during that walk, she's convinced to have her picture taken by Rafi, who does this for a living and who's played by Nawazuddin Siddiqui. But surprisingly, when Rafi looks down toward the end of the transaction, Maloney walks away with a copy of the titular photo without paying for it. oh Now keep in mind that Maloney has done this absent-mindedly. Again, she's lost in thought. But Rafi doesn't know this, and he has no idea of where she's gone. Plus, just what is it that's on Maloney's mind? What's troubling her? Well, before we get to that, we learn a bit more about Rafi. And we find out that he's facing constant pressure from seemingly everyone who knows him to get married. Almost everyone he encounters on his way back home after his puzzling exchange with Maloney mentions to him in amusing fashion, I have to say, that they heard that his marriage prospects have gotten so bad that his own grandmother has stopped taking her meds in an effort to guilt him into finding someone. <laughs> but just what is the whole <laughs> exactly? Uh, in any case, Rafi loves his grandma who raised him, so he decides to put her fears at ease and, and get everyone else off of his back in the process he decides to send her a note claiming that he's just met a wonderful woman and to make the white lie stick he even includes a picture of this fictional woman but can you guess which picture he uses uh oh uh -oh. now for maloney rafi's picture plays an important role in her life as well because people take a liking to it however through a series of events the picture is taken away from her which forces her to reach out to rafi about getting another copy but this time, Rafi makes sure that he gets something in return. Because this time, he asks Maloney to pretend to be the woman he told his grandmother about, which she agrees to do, much to his surprise. Oh. And with that, both Maloney and Rafi embark upon a ruse to keep Rafi's grandmother, who's the farthest thing from a pushover, at ease. And along the way, they, by necessity, get to know each other better. But just where do you think that takes them? And just how exactly does it work out? And what does working out mean? It might not be what you think. In addition, keep in mind that Maloney's a student with a bright future, not to mention a potential fiance who's been chosen by her parents, which is in contrast to Rafi, who again takes pictures for a living, but he does so for commendable reasons. Even still in the end, these are two people, whose dreams go against expectations and who somehow understand each other on a deeper level. But will their unlikely connection be enough to overcome the bonds of class? And with that, director and co-writer Ritesh Batra once again has crafted a film that's gentle and unforced. That's his trademark. Now, there are blips of humor here and there along with one or two tenser moments but they are the exceptions rather than the rule because photograph doesn't have some sort of propulsive narrative. I mean, it is what it is, which is an escape from things having to happen. And so the main question for moviegoers and watchers is this. Will photograph charm you with its deliberateness or will it just put you to sleep? Well, let me start here. I do have to say that for its pace and feel, its runtime is a little too long. I could feel it. Plus, you have to read subtitles, so keep that in mind. However, even in the face of all that, I found Photograph quite soothing. I found it quite pleasant to watch, and I like the characters and the cast. Now, despite that, though, I know for a fact that some people will find it too slow, which actually would be understandable. However, that's kind of the point, because for those who get in sync with Photograph's rhythm, you'll have the chance to escape the hectic moments in life which might be just what the doctor ordered. You'll be able to sit back, take a breath, relax, and let this film wash over you. And if that sounds like your kind of thing, just know that you can do that either in a theater or from the comfort of your own home when Photograph finally makes its way to Amazon Prime.
1: Ooh! Now let's end this movie talk with See You Yesterday! (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> That's coming out on Netflix uh, on May 17th, and it was definitely something that was highlighted at this recent festival called Tribeca Film Festival. Mm. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it it's written, or first of all, it's directed by Stefan Bristol. Uh, he also co-wrote it with Frederica Bailey. It has a very interesting um, cast. Not a lot of people that you would know, but Astro, if you remember, <laughs> I think he was on X Factor. Yeah. It was, like, it was a, a, he didn't win, but he was an amazing um, young little rapper who just was absolutely amazing. He's in it. Ethan Duncan Smith, Dante uh, Critchlow, uh, Marcia, uh Stephanie Blake, along with a ton of other people. This has a really interesting
0: premise. Do tell us about it. Yeah, it does. So um, it begins on June 27th, 2019 at 426 in the afternoon. And Claudette Josephine Walker, known as CJ, get it, CJ Walker, uh-huh. and her best pal, Sebastian Jefferson Thomas, record something very important before they do something very important. And via that recording, we learned that they're about to embark on their third temporary relocation test. But what in the world is a temporary relocation test? Sounds like a
1: time machine.
0: Well, yeah, it's a test of their invention, which is housed in backpacks and which, brace yourselves, as the ref said, opens up a wormhole that will take them 24 hours into the past. Yeah, <laughs> this is about time travel, y'all. Oh, Yeah. But 24 (laughs) hours is as far back as they can go theoretically, which, by the way, is a vital component of this narrative. All right. So after CJ explains what they're doing, they start the test. And things shake and rattle all around them. So it looks like something's going to happen. This might actually work. And then mission failure. Oh, boy. (laughs) But do you think that will deter our trusty teams? Well, you know it won't, especially since CJ, who's played by Eden Duncan-Smith, and Sebastian, who's played by Dante Critchlow, are oh so close to getting this monumental scientific breakthrough to work, and since the success of their efforts will guarantee them admission into the best colleges and universities in the world, including Morehouse, MIT, and Stanford. Yeah, for these Caribbean-American teens who attended Bronx High School of Science, getting into college is the dream, not making money hand over fist. But... After they make it through the final day of school for the year, CJ receives a note of caution from their teacher, who's played by Michael J. Fox of all people, regarding the theoretical power of time travel. Mm -hmm. But it's not that he knows exactly what they're up to, he just suspects that it's something. Indeed. And then we're introduced to three more characters who each have a role to play. There's CJ's and Sebastian's friend, Eduardo, who's played by Jonathan Nieves, and who, just like them, knows a thing or two about science and who annoys CJ to no end for a very particular reason. So what role will he play in the end? There's CJ's ex-boyfriend, who's a piece of work, and there's CJ's older brother, Calvin, played by Astro, Brian Stroh-Bradley,
1: <laughs>
0: who, after they have an encounter with a couple of cops, warns CJ that she must learn how to control her temper which is especially important because there was a recent killing of a black kid by the cops in their neighborhood keep that in mind Hmm. plus they have a mother played by Marsha Stephanie Blake who loves them and they have the memory of their father who died some years before to uphold and so the obvious question is this do CJ and Sebastian succeed and if so What will be the consequences of that? Because after tragedy strikes, their wits and tenacity will be pushed to the limits and nothing will ever be the same. Don't forget that the title is See You Yesterday. And with that, it's review time. First of all, I do have to say that it was nice to see two city kids who have a love for all things science, including Star Trek and Stephen Hawking, but who aren't some sort of caricature. They're just ordinary, non-annoying teens with brains. Second of all, I really enjoyed seeing this interpretation of the time travel genre. At times, especially during this film's first half, director and co-writer Stefan Bristol crafted moments that were reminiscent of Back to the Future, of course, and of some of Spielberg's work. But Stefan made those moments his own through characterization and location. In addition, the editing was good, and it felt fresh for much of its runtime. Plus, Eden and Dante as the two leads have great energy and are great fits for their characters. I mean, as I was watching them during the opening moments of this film, I kept thinking that this is closer to what A Wrinkle in Time should have been, or to be precise, it's closer to Mm. what A Wrinkle in Time could have been if it were rated PG-13 and had a much clearer through line. I mean, there's a reason why this film was the runner-up for the Audience Award at this year's Tribeca Film Festival. But, after its lighter and more entertaining opening moments, See You Yesterday does take a bit of a turn after the aforementioned pivotal tragedy occurs. And this was when I was looking to see whether any of Spike Lee's traits were going to pop up, especially since he produced this film and since he's Stefan's mentor. But... Even though I could see and feel Spike's influence, for instance, Do the Right Thing comes to mind because of the setting, I'm pleased to say that Stefan didn't lose his own aesthetic when his narrative took a more Spike-like turn. Now, is this to say that See You Yesterday is a complete success? No. Uh, because it does have some problems. For one, the writing has some minor issues every now and then. And for two, the second half of the film isn't as crisp as the first. The balance isn't quite perfect. Even still, I do have to say that the weightier second half isn't as heavy-handed as it could have been making See You Yesterday a success overall. And so if you're interested in seeing how a film can blend science fiction and social justice pretty well, then go ahead and check out See You Yesterday. After all, it is a Netflix film, so it's easy to access, and it's less than an hour and a half long. Plus, it shows how having a smaller budget can sometimes lead to a film that's more successful than what's provided by big budget offerings. Because sometimes, the less money you have, the more creative you have to be with what you're given.
1: Ooh, so that's three movies, folks. Trial by Fire, which opens wide May 17th, as well as Photograph in Select Theaters and Netflix's See You Yesterday are all coming at you this Friday. Check them out. Oui, bonjour tout le monde. Oh, bonjour. Listen. This year is our first year covering the Cannes Film Festival. What? Yes, as you say, it is the premier festival of all festivals. And guess who's going to physically be there? Not us. (laughs) But we are accredited members and we will be covering it from a distance. But that's not all we'll be doing. We'll also be giving you some highlights Mm -hmm. Mm. this May 14th through the 25th of the action and the flair and the dresses and the movies and the film stars, all from the comfort of our own home (laughs) as people enjoy themselves in the south of France. Now I hear you're pretty excited about this year's festival, critic.
0: I am. I mean, some wonderful things that stand out. First of all, Quentin Tarantino is going to drop... His next movie on us, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring DiCaprio and Pitt, Ooh. Mm. along with Margot Robbie and Dakota Fanning and other people. Yeah, it's 1969 in L.A. Everybody think about that. Now we also, uh-huh. yeah, we also have a return of Jim Jarmusch, who, whose last film, Patterson, we really enjoyed. Ref, this time mm. though, he's doing some sort of horror movie, <laughs> oh, and it's starring the Apocalypse. And it's starring Adam Driver again and Bill Murray. Bill
1: Murray. Oh, what a pair.
0: We also have Terrence Malick's latest film coming. Pedro Almodovar's latest movie is coming. Rocket Man, yes, that's about you know who. Hilton. <laughs> Elton. Elton, that's right. That'll be there. Uh, Ken Loach's latest film. We loved his I, Daniel Blake at the New York Film Festival at the first time we went. He's back along with many others. So that's just a few of the highlights. What a festival.
1: What a festival it will be. We will be there, kinda, to cover it for you. You stay locked here at Why Watch That and we will enjoy our baguettes.